Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Well, good evening. Good, some of you are awake. That's awesome. Hopefully you'll stay awake during the whole thing. Yeah, if you were so inclined and you wanted to come a little closer, I'd be happy. That would be awesome, but no pressure, you know. Um, it, it's good, good to be back together again as we're kind of navigating our way through the end of the book of Genesis. We'll be picking up where we left off last week in Genesis chapter 40. And so if you want to take some time to turn there, um, before we get in, as you're turning there, before we get into the study, I did want to bring something up. Um, actually, I want to acknowledge a mistake I made last week um, as I was comparing the life of Joseph with the life of Christ. I, I said that Joseph was sold for 30 pieces of silver. silver. That's not correct. Um, after the service, one of our young women came up to me and graciously just pointed this out, and I thought, this really actually encouraged me tremendously. I went home just pondering it, because this was, this was the heart that Paul was excited about in the people of Berea in Acts chapter 17. He said that they were of no more, more, more noble-minded, and that as he taught, they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so, as I was thinking about it, it's like, how great that there are people, it encouraged me, people are actually listening, right? And, and paying attention, right? Um, so that was a really, that was a great encouragement for me, but also uh, to see um, young people say, hey, I, I heard something, I want to see if this is true. And that's one of the things I've loved about Calvary Chapel Southeast, you know, since I've been here, is that Pastor Doug has always um, kind of encouraged uh, us as a body to ask questions, and to, and to ask questions even when they're uncomfortable sometimes, and that we have this, this willingness to do that. Anyways, um, brief, brief review of last week as we studied through chapter 39. Um, Joseph, as we learned, was at the beginning of what would be a long season of hardship. Uh, some of you are, have been familiar with that. Uh, we'll just recap briefly. He, he was sold as a slave by his brothers, he was eventually purchased by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's personal bodyguard. Um, as I mentioned last week, he could have ended up in anyone's hands. He was originally sold to the Ishmaelites, who then sold him into slavery into Egypt. He really could have ended up anywhere except for the sovereign plan of God, the guiding and protecting hand of God that had a plan and a purpose for his life. Are we any different? Does God have a plan and a purpose for our life? And it includes every circumstance we might find ourselves in. And because of the things that took place earlier in the book of Genesis, more specifically the, the visions and dreams that he had that he related to his brothers and then to his father, which, you know, stirred up a little, little tension there, uh, God not only was moving him, but in a very specific direction that he had had to have some connection to the royal line, because that was part of the prophecy. And so we're going to see that kind of unfold tonight. Despite the injustice of his situation, Joseph clearly determined to faithfully and diligently serve his master. And he did this because of what it says in verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph. We talked about that. It wasn't only that the Lord was with him, <coughs> as in guiding him, but that Joseph was cooperating with the Lord. He was saying, Lord, not only I know are you with me, but I am with you. And this is the heart God would have in us, in our difficulties, that we would say, yes, Lord, I know you're with me. Therefore, I will faithfully serve with you and cooperate with your plan. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, Joseph, as he's aware of this cooperation with the Lord, how could he do that? Why would he do that? 
Well, that was because he was choosing to remember the character of the Lord that he had seen not only in his own life, but also in the lives of his forefathers, even in all their brokenness and failures. He was perhaps recalling the vision that he had been given. And this became his um, spiritual, emotional, kind of physical anchor amidst the trial that he was experiencing. Again, we too, do we need anchors in our lives? Those things that we can say, that is immovable, unchangeable. And there is only one, isn't there? There is only one anchor that never changes. And uh, we ought to cling to that anchor. And this attitude became a guard to his mind. Joseph's heart believed that there was good to be found in adversity. It became the guard for his heart and mind and soul as he was continuously now tempted to sin because of the advances of Potiphar's wife. And it says there that he didn't give her the time nor the space, the opportunity for sin to grow in any way and to find a root in his life because the words of God were a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. However, despite Joseph's faithfulness to God and his master, his life was once again unjustly upended with Potiphar's wife falsely accusing him of attempted rape. Yet even in this, Joseph's character could not be tainted because it was established, built, and maintained by what? The power of God through the Holy Spirit. His circumstances did not dictate how he responded. Joseph continued to serve as he had been serving as unto the Lord. And that's the close now of chapter 39, where we see him there in prison. He's finding great favor with the jailer. And he's basically just same song, second verse, right? It's just, he's just picking up where he left off. All right, new master, same, same program, trusting the Lord, serving the Lord, right? He's just continuing on. Joseph allowed his life to be a signpost, pointing others to the heart of God and the goodness of God, trusting in the timing, that God's timing would produce the greatest good in his life to the praise and glory of God. Now, we don't get to see all those little tiny details. Was Joseph a human being? Yes, we're, we talked about this. This is a historical record. He's a real human, no different than you and I, with all his flaws and weaknesses, did he experience anger and bitterness? I'm sure he did, right? But the difference is it doesn't seem to have controlled his life. He continues to serve with a whole heart, cooperating with the unknown plan of God. And he echoes the words really spoken some generations later by David in Psalm 145, Verses 13 to 14, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. He's looking at it and it's like, this is dark, this is dark, but if I just keep my eyes on the Lord, he will lift me up. If we will but keep our eyes on the Lord, he will lift us up. And this brings us now to Genesis chapter 40. And you could say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, here's Joseph, still in prison. And read along with me. We'll read some sections and we'll talk about it. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Now, it's really important. Uh, Proverbs 69 says, the, man of, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So we need to keep this in mind as we go through this, both from Joseph's perspective, but also from the perspective of the cupbearer, the baker, and Pharaoh. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. To those not surrendered to the Lord or those who fail to abide daily in that relationship with the Lord, the chaotic of events of the world would seem to have no purpose. 
But as mentioned last week, God wastes nothing, correct? He wastes nothing. Everything cooperates with his plan and fulfills his purposes. If you recall, last week I mentioned that according to cultural standards, Potiphar could have had Joseph executed on the spot for this attempted rape. However, he didn't do that. And here in chapter 40, we learn a little more of the story. Joseph is really still under his care. Because the captain of the bodyguard and the captain of the prison is the one and the same person. It's Potiphar. Now, there's one other mention in there, the chief jailer. That could potentially be another person. I think it probably is, but we don't know for certain. But at the very minimum, it says right there in in verse 4, the captain of the bodyguard, who is that? That's Potiphar. Put Joseph in charge of them. So he's still supervising Joseph. Right? So there, there clearly is some connection there that he has not forsaken. Right? He has a certain level of trust in Joseph despite the allegations. The Lord is still superintending Joseph's life. He still has favor according to God's plan. Not only his life, but also of all humanity. And this is where we need to keep our minds focused. God is superintending the lives of all humanity. He is sovereign. So it appears that the chief cupbearer and the baker now have got themselves in a mess. It might be that they are suspects, as some commentators say, in a murder plot, a, a plot to poison the, uh, the pharaoh. This was a common occurrence, which is why they had a chief cupbearer who tasted everything before pharaoh took a sip and the, and the baker who tasted everything before Pharaoh ate anything. These two guys were his last line of defense. Therefore, there was a lot of trust. Clearly, something bad happened because they now find themselves in prison for some time. Though the charges against them are not revealed, in verse 22, we learn the penalty for the chief baker is death by hanging which is a punishment usually reserved for capital offenses. So it was bad. (laughs) It was no bueno. It was not good. But to say that the road for Joseph is full of twists and turns is a bit of an understatement. However, the destination of that road was already predetermined. The destination of our road is already predetermined. There is no mystery. We can open the map, the book, and find out where we go. And this was, for, in Joseph's heart, this was where he was at. I am trusting the Lord. I know it's for my good and his glory. Those two royal officials, they are in the hand of God. God is in charge, and he uses both the righteous and unrighteous to carry out his plan. We, we would see this as we've studied through various portions of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God has used wicked people, unrighteous people, even to discipline His children, the nation Israel. And, uh, but God is in charge. He's moving His plan forward. And as we continue in the history lesson, think on this. Just kind of put this in your mind for a moment. Who do the cupbearer and baker spiritually represent? And just hold on to that thought for, as we kind of move forward, and we'll talk about it later. Verse 5, Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected or sad. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Now, as the Lord kind of further directs the steps of these men, he provides a disturbing dream or vision in the night, a dream that we can understand from what's written here that they could not shake. It was disturbing. It was upsetting their soul. This wasn't like... A, a bad piece of bread or whatever. No, this, this was a 
looming anxiety in their life so that when Joseph sees them, they're all out of sorts. It occupies their thoughts. And Joseph comes along, and despite the injustices he's experienced, he chooses compassion and concern for those that share his fate rather than bitterness or anger. And this is, this is a key note here. He determined to be used of the Lord as his eyes were up open for an opportunity. Now, I don't know if you've been like me, but I, I'm, you, know, you can ask my wife later if you like. I'm too often the half glass full, right? It's like, eh, I'm a little bit pessimistic. Like, if there's, if there's something bad coming, I've got a plan B for how bad it's going to get or worse, right? And I'm not, in those times like that, I'm not always the person that's looking for the good, that's immediately going, oh, wait, I, I, there's something really good just around the corner. I can't wait to see it. But that's the heart that God would want us to have. He wants us to look at those, those obstacles, those trials, those difficulties, and say, Lord, what good thing are you preparing? What are you doing right now that I can't see, but I know you're doing? And this is where Joseph is about. He's like, he's moved by compassion. He sees these men that are in similar circumstances and rather than saying, well, misery loves company, <laughs> right? Let's all just sit and just eat worms together. He says, no, come on. Tell me what's going on in your life. Let me be a comfort. But more than that, I didn't know this until I looked it up, but in his communications through dreams, in the Bible, God spoke to unbelievers twice as many times as he did to believers. It's a crazy thing. I was like, whoa, this is a common theme. And isn't it interesting that what we hear today all around the world in Muslim countries, closed countries where the gospel is prohibited, that many of these same countries, people are having what? dreams, visitations from the Lord, right? And, and, and I, as I was reading this, it's one of those things where it just like made the hair kind of stand up on my arms and the back of my neck like, like it is right now. <laughs> you know, it's just like, whoa, this is crazy. It's not like this is the first time God's done it. He's been doing it for centuries. He's been speaking But here's an important part as, part, uh, point. as we learned last week regarding the spiritual gifts. You and I should be open to the gifts and the works of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We should be open to the moving of God through His Holy Spirit. However, even as that takes place, all communication that comes from the Lord must align with what? His Word. His voice in written form. Now, he may speak in an unusual way, but never against his word, nor with equal authority, and that's why it must be tested. Paul's words to the believers at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil." He says, but examine everything carefully. And what is it that we examine it with? The Word of God. Joseph, he knows the heart of the Father, and he is cooperating with him, and thus he declares what is true. Do not interpretations belong to God. So tell me, please. Verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it, the cup and... <clears throat> This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. 
Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom where you were his cupbearer. Only keep in mind when it goes well with you, and please do not do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, he's all a Twitter, like, woo, I'm really excited. I also saw in my dream, behold, there are three baskets of white bread on my head, and in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. And then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and we'll hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Less exciting, <laughs> right? Now, here's, here's an interesting point. Joseph was not afraid to give both the good news and the bad news. He was unafraid of the voice of God speaking to him and through him. Uh, James Boyce, a pastor and a teacher of, uh, really a, a, a proponent of biblical inerrancy, he said this, he said, how many are those who are willing to preach the cupbearer's sermon, but are willing, unwilling to preach the baker's sermon? <laughs> and I was like, oh. How often we might, and we see in our culture today, in, in churches claiming to follow Christ, the, the joy of expressing the good news of the cupbearer sermon, right? Oh, it's all good and wonderful. It's blessing and, and God is just going to take care of you. Uh, but there's a little lack of the baker's sermon. Hey, there's a price to be paid because the implication is that he's guilty, that there's guilt and sin involved and his life is being forfeited. Sorry, Liam, I'm going to talk about you for a second. Um, Liam, I think, must, must have been about six years old when we were downtown Portland one night. This is one of my favorite moments. Um, and uh, we were downtown doing, a, I think it was a Halloween, Halloween outreach, and we were doing street, street evangelism with Dave and Dee, and it was just really great. And, and I got paired up with Liam and a couple other guys, and we were walking around, and we eventually ended up back at Pioneer Courthouse Square, and we were trying to engage people in conversations that night, just asking them, like, hey, why are you out here? And we were handing out donuts and coffee. And it was a cool night, so it was, a, it was an effective, you know, bait, as it were, to start a conversation. And people asked, why are you doing this? And you know, you'd ask them the question. So we, we ran into these two guys, and one of them was this great, really big guy, huge guy. And we're talking to him, and we're kind of now entering into the gospel. And he kind of brings back the answer, like, well, hey, I'm not that bad of a guy. And my favorite thing, Liam pipes up this, he's very small stature at that time. And, uh, and he says, well, have you ever looked at a woman with lust before? And this guy like completely lost it. He's like, wow, like what boldness, right? And I don't say this to build up Liam. I, what I say is that that is the spirit of God moving in a human being. And this is the heart of God that Joseph is being led by, the same spirit of God that is leading you and I that we would not be ashamed of speaking about the bad news. That is, listen, there is sin in people's lives. And there is a penalty to be paid for sin. We should not shy away from the baker's sermon. Because here's the deal. When we preach the gospel, the bad news is what makes the good news good news. If we do not know how wretched, evil, and desperately needy we are, how will we appreciate the greatness of His grace when we are forgiven? Now, I ask you again, again, just hold on to this thought. Spiritually speaking, who are the cupbearer and the baker? Verse 20, thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He brought him out on display. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. 
But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Now it was the Lord who gave the dreams, who provided the interpretation, and it was he who fulfilled their meaning, and his justice and forgiveness are certain. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for us. Now, does this preclude Joseph asking for some assistance and using wisdom? No, right? He's trusting the Lord, but he's like, Lord, hey, Lord, you've given me opportunity potentially to get out of this mess, and so he asks for relief. But even then, he still clings to what he knows to be true. The timing of his release, release the, re- the relief that he would experience, the, the end of his suffering was dependent upon the will of God, the Father. Will you and I experience temptation? Yes. The real question is, will we be dissuaded by the delay when God doesn't answer in our timing? When we are in a difficult circumstance and we think God is just, God has abandoned me because he's delayed in his response. We could look at all throughout the scripture, scriptures, couldn't we? How many times did God delay and wait, delay and wait, but he does come through. And, and that's where we have to be so careful that we are not pulled into this temptation by the delay. The timing of the Lord is perfect. Um, I, think we, I think Hebrews 10, 20, uh, 10.22 and 10.23 uh, remind us, he said, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession of our hope? That God has redeemed us and yet still will redeem us. That's the confession. That is our hope that this is not our home. This is merely a temporary place. We are foreigners in a strange land. Our home is yet to come. And it will come. It's only a matter of time. And hold fast is what Joseph does. Genesis 41. Now it happened at the end of two full years. Two more years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke. (laughs) I would wake up too. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now, that was a nightmare. That was an awful nightmare, right? Corn, ears of corn coming alive and eating each other, that's bad enough. Not much cows, right? This is super, like, this is... If you put this in a Halloween movie, it still would be weird. <laughs> then Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled. Yeah, I bet it was. So he sent and called for all the mag- magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So two years pass, and Joseph is still unjustly suffering in prison. Like him, we must not lose heart because what is happening in those two years is the Lord is paving the road. He's paving the road that Joseph is about to walk. He's making it an easy path for him to walk down. And Joseph has been, had Joseph been relieved, released at the, at the uh, encouragement of the cupbearer, 
They might not have been able to find him. So God said, well, I got to keep you where they can find you. Now, we might not think like that, like, I don't want to be kept in this bad spot. This is really hard. But God says, I need to keep you where you can be found at the right time. I really like the end of verse 8. Pharaoh has these dreams, and he gathers his magicians and wise men, yet none of them knew the answer. Why? Why didn't all these wise guys know the answer? Because... God alone knows the future. God alone knows the future. And he reveals it only to those who he chooses. No amount of sorcery, magic, or human wisdom can determine the plans of God Almighty. Like, if you ever wondered, you know, like, hey, does, what's that one, um, Claire or something like that? Sister Claire, I don't know, some, you know, the palm readers and stuff. I think someone knows what I'm talking about. Um, but they know nothing. Cleo, Cleo that was it, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, Cleo. She knows nothing about the future. God alone knows the exact timing of the events of this world. Jesus would say something to that effect, wouldn't he? Not even the angels know. <laughs> Daniel experienced this under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Uh, he has this dream, and he goes so far as to say, you know what, I'm not even going to tell you the dream. You've got to tell me the dream and the interpretation, which has never been done before. He was pretty serious about this. In fact, he threatened to kill them all, all the wise men. They couldn't answer, and he said, like, I'm killing you all. They go to find Daniel, and he's like, hold on, give me a day. <laughs> give me 24 hours, right? So they go, him and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, spend a night in prayer asking God to reveal not only the interpretation of the dream, but the dream itself without having a clue. And this is what he says after God reveals it. This is what Daniel says. Um, this is in uh, Daniel, uh, oh, I didn't write the, the reference down. Uh, it is verse 21 through 23. Praised be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep. And hidden things, he knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So like Daniel, Joseph, and Joseph, when we are confronted with an issue we don't have an answer to, who should we go to? the God of all creation. Will he answer us if we come to him in humility and purity of heart? Yes, he will. Psalm 91, 15. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Verse 9 of chapter 41, then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. <laughs> this is a polite way of saying, you remember when I totally made a mess, right? Now he didn't really, he was just a suspect, but he's taking an attitude of humility. Like he didn't want to say, hey, you remember when you unjustly threw me in prison? No, he's saying like, I would recall my own offenses, right? Pharaoh was furious with his servant, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dreams. Now, a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. Remember, who is he still serving? Potiphar. Each of us dreamed according to his own dream. 
now a Hebrew youth was with us, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us to each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted, interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. And then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Here's an important verse right here. It's verse 16. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying what? It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Like Daniel, Joseph first acknowledged that God alone is the source of wisdom. He's quick to honor God and pr give praise to God alone. He, he didn't give in to this temptation to take that honor onto himself. Listen, I, 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 I certainly think most of us would be tempted in that situation like, yeah, I am all that and more. I can't wait to tell you what's going to happen. Are we quick to honor the Lord and to do it publicly with passion without having to be provoked to do it? How many times has God clearly blessed us and we said, oh, you know, I really worked hard at that. I really put in a lot of hours. I was taught a really good work ethic. Right? We have all of our human reasons, but at the end of the day, if we're honest, what good and perfect gift comes from us? Not one. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Do we run from temptation to take credit, or do we quickly honor the one who gives us the good gifts and grace? So during the last several years, God has not only been preparing His plan, He's also been preparing the messenger for His plan. That's what's been taking place in Joseph. He's been preparing His messenger, His servant. He's putting him into a place to trust the Lord, to build up his faith, to strengthen his character so that when he stands before the, the leader of that time of the free world, he would say, oh, this is all God. God sustained me when I was kidnapped. God sustained me when I worked for my master. God sustained me when I was unjustly thrown into prison, and God will sustain me now before Pharaoh. Verse 17. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for ugliness in all of the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. When they had, yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. So we're getting a little more detail here, right? He's just telling them they were bad before and they were just as bad afterwards. And then he tells them more, right? Then I awoke, and I saw also in my dream, behold, seven ears full of good, uh, full and good come up on a single stalk, and lo, seven ears withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Notice that he again focuses on who the messenger really is. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. 
It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. I'm losing my spot here. And after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of what, subsequent, what the subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now, this is, this is a really interesting piece. This comes back to this idea that it, it, there is a, a necessity for more than one witness to attest to the truth. We see this in John chapter 8, 18, uh, chapter 8, 14, John 10, 25, and John 15, 26. Um, Jesus acknowledging the truth of Deuteronomy 19, 15, which says, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. And Jesus, of course, lays this out in all those passages that he is, he is a testimony because he's the Son of God. But the Father also and the Holy Spirit are also testifying of him, not to mention John the Baptist, and the list kind of goes on. But here, Joseph is drawing the line to this principle. God has revealed the matter twice, ensuring both the truth and the immediacy of the matter. And this is the heart that God wants to communicate through Joseph. All the while, Joseph is taking this attitude of humility. He's pointing Pharaoh like, listen, don't, don't look to me. God is saying this. God is going to do this. You cannot stop it. Take my word for it. You and I can say with boldness and confidence, the Bible is true. It has been established on the basis of a myriad of witnesses, of which most notably is the Lord Himself. It is true history, true commandments, true poetry, true wisdom, and true prophecy from beginning to end. Verse 33, now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of all the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur, occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Now here's the thing. Because the word from the Lord was trustworthy, and it was deemed trustworthy, Joseph adds the wisdom he now receives from the Lord and, and, and demonstrate it, demonstrates it as a proven administrator. It's not like he's just saying, hey, you know, I've had some, or, you know, I, this is what the Lord says. He's like, I have some experience in this realm. You maybe have heard just a little bit from the chief cupbearer, but he adds this element that God has gifted him with what we would say, according to what we heard on Sunday, the gift of administration on top of the gift of prophecy. <laughs> this is the moment the Lord had been preparing for Joseph. But look at the road that he had to travel. What about you and I? What road, what road is God having us travel that He is preparing us? Maybe He is, maybe He is exercising some discipline in our life that we would come awake. Maybe He is also just perfecting us that we would persevere. That when the, His relief comes, we would say that is the Lord's. Joseph's role of Savior of the Lord's people is now at hand, but it came with much suffering and with much faithfulness. Now, as we look here at the remainder of, I'm going to skim through this, the remainder of chapter 41, 
we know that Joseph is made a ruler of Egypt. Um, there in verse 38, he says, Pharaoh says, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. Right? This is, he has now heard the voice of God and he's acknowledging it. He's like, clearly God is speaking through you. Why would I choose anyone but you? And this is where God would have us be, that we would be people of such a character and such a boldness regarding God and his word that when we speak, people would actually pay attention because they would look at our life and say, wow, they've trusted, they've endured, they've persevered. Clearly, there is some great trust in God that I cannot comprehend. Let me know this person. So he's put in charge of everything, and he carries out the plan, as we know. Pharaoh, in verse 42, takes off his signet ring from his hand, puts it on Joseph. He declares that there is no one greater now in the kingdom than Joseph except himself. So he's second in command to Pharaoh, and he's given charge over all the land and all the produce of the land, and he does all of this. And then he gives him a wife, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On is his wife, and he carries out the plan during those seven years of, of uh, great harvest and then the seven years of lean. Verse 50, if we were to jump down there, now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, Heliopolis, Heliopolis bored him. Joseph named the firstborn... Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. He named the second one Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty, which had been in the land of Egypt, came to end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, there was a famine in all the land, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says, you shall do. And when the famine was spread all over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Now, as we... As we kind of wrap up 41 here, I want, to, want us to remember what was critically important about chapter 37. Because in chapter 37, we established that Jesus is a type or a foreshadowing of Christ, right? Actually, I'm sorry, 39, chapter 39. Remember, remember also, I asked you, who do the cupbearer and baker represent? So why are we given this historical record? It was to establish the history of God's people, the future nation of Israel. It was also a record of the failure of mankind to live in holiness with God and also God's grace to continue to pursue those he loves. But there is an even greater story. You and I, we may see ourselves in the story of Joseph, and that might allow us the, the ability to compare or even contrast our lives as we've done some tonight. But here's the big difference. Since Joseph is the foreshadowing of Christ, there's a big difference between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph's words, his life, only rescued the innocent prisoner, not the guilty one. The greatest news is that Jesus is able to preserve the innocent and rescue the guilty. And every one of us are the guilty. And there might be times in our lives where we might experience persecution, as did the cupbearer, but at the end, we are all the baker. <laughs> and, Je and Joseph was powerless to protect the baker, but Jesus has all the power to rescue the guilty. 
We live in a world full of injustice, and many of God's children are unjustly persecuted, imprisoned, and killed. But God is willing and able to rescue them. If nothing else, He has His rescue planned already in heaven. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. But the father did not stop there. He sent the son into the prison to be unjustly punished for the sake of the guilty that he might rescue the guilty as surely as he preserves the righteous. And unlike the baker, the Savior will not refuse to rescue those who seek him with a pure heart. That's that's all he's asking. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. What we see in Joseph is what Jesus displayed for the Father and for you and I. The heart of a servant of God. One who is willing to live the word of God as it's found in 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to hear about this Sunday. 1 Corinthians 4, you know this. You've heard this probably many times. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Do we see any of this happening in Joseph's life? He certainly could have. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. The love of God never fails. Now, tonight, um, Josh, if you're here somewhere, you can come on up. We have the opportunity tonight to remember the faithfulness of God given to us through Jesus Christ. What we have up here are two tables with, with the bread, the, the elements, the bread and the wine, or the, the bread and the juice. Reminders of the things that Jesus shared with his disciples. After it says he showed them the full extent of his love, he, he washed their feet. He said, if I, being greatest among you, am doing this to you, what then ought you to do to one another? Serve one another out of a heart for God. You see, he endured the abuse of his brothers, the Jewish people, the religious leaders. They mocked him and attempted to take his life. He was betrayed by them for a bag of silver. He allowed himself to be imprisoned in a mortal body for a season that he might rescue those in chains, the innocent and the guilty. He was punished for all the sins, our sins as well. And at the proper time, the Father lifted up his head far above all rule and authority that he might offer life to all who come to him by faith. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.